Hi, my name is Chanel Riley. I'm an editor at Variety. I'm so excited to be here today with a true actor's actor. You've seen him, of course, in films like The Last Exorcism and shows like Black Monday and Grey's Anatomy. Of course, you probably know him best for his role as Howard Hamlin on Better Call Saul. Please welcome Patrick Fabian. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, I love how um, how the alliteration of Howard Hamlin. It's so much fun to say. <laughs> I can start with a story about that right off the bat. Um, I believe it was a tip of the hat to um, Harry Hamlin from L.A. Law. Weird. Vincent told me him and Peter when they were figuring out like these characters, they thought of they, they thought of like who's like a slick put together lawyer, and they thought of Harry Hamlin. So they sort of did that, and of course. In only Hollywood fashion, I found myself two years into the series and we were out at some some uh, some party and I look across the room and I see Harry Hamlin. Now, for me, you know, he's from uh, he's from the, the Greek movie from the gods. He was married to Ursula Andress and, you know, he's Harry Hamlin. So I look over and I'm like, uh, and I start to walk over. And as I walk over, he sticks his hand out and he goes, oh, my God, I love you. I better call Saul. So, of course, now we're having a meeting of minds. His wife, Lisa Renna, is unfortunately her and my wife are just parted because Harry and I are having a boy fest. We are just loving each other and blowing sunshiny at each other's skirts. Finally, Lisa says, all right, girls, can I get a picture of you two? And, and I have it somewhere. It's the two of us looking as silly as possible. And I was able to tell him that they, uh, they wanted to, uh, that they named him after him. So there, and that's your Hollywood minute from Patrick Fabian. <laughs> I always wondered, actually, if if it was like a tip of the hat to him. Did he know that? Did he suspect it? No, but of course, like any good actor, as soon as I told him that story, he's like, well, why didn't they cast me? So, you know, there you go. Yeah, it's, it yeah I was actually going to ask. You also voice Hank Henshaw, which is another uh, a name with lovely alliteration. Yeah, the Reign of Superman and the Death of Superman on the Warner Brothers uh, videos, which is really great. Yeah. Um, and done much uh, voiceover work for animation before. These guys were wonderful because they've done it so much. They know how to, they know how to pull it out of you. And it was in, in the end, you know, you're you're playing Hank Henshaw, you're playing uh, Cyborg Superman. You still have a point of view. You still have something you want. It's just all heightened. So that was a lot of fun. So any other HH names? If someone needs a Howard Hughes, um, no more H. That I use. So whenever I have someone as accomplished as you are, I actually love to go back to the beginning and ask, what was your first job as an actor? I mean, whether it was the first time you were paid or just the first time you felt that you could call yourself an actor. Well, uh, you know, I, I always thought getting a getting your equity card and getting your SAG card makes you a professional. It, it was your trade card. And uh, and I did lots of non-union stuff. I was part of uh, the Pacific Resident Theater Ensemble out at Venice Beach for years when I first got out of school. And I waited tables. I did all that. Back in the day, that's what you did. You know, you're, you're, my survival job was waiting tables. And I worked for the uh, Shakespeare Festival LA, oh, wow. which I got my equity card. And, uh, and I did a car commercial for, um, no, Head and Shoulders. Head and Shoulders got me my union card. I shot a Head and Shoulders commercial with Peter Spears down at Union Station. Uh, and uh, that got me my SAG card. So that was sort of, I guess, technically my first on-camera job. Uh-huh. But I got paid for working for a local TV station here, KTLA. There was a show called My Talk Show by a comic who I can't remember, but uh, he reminded me of Stephen Wright. And I went on and played um, a, a man in drag with uh, a former Raider player. It was, it, it, it was like that. 
for making a VHS copy of it, giving it to my mom and dad for Christmas that year. So proud, like, hey, I made it. My parents are from central Pennsylvania, good, solid folk who have good, solid jobs. In retrospect, the idea of them looking at this, they're like, oh, so my son's cross-dressing with X Raiders on local TV in LA. Way to go. <laughs> this, is, this is what Hollywood is. But it is. <laughs> well, actually, going back to the beginning, when did you first sort of become interested in acting? Were you someone who did like a lot of school plays? Did you always know this is the path you wanted? Um, I was always involved in the arts. You know, uh, music was my first go to um, playing in the band in elementary school and middle school. I got involved with the choir and things like that. Uh, I was doing some sports, but I was short. And I didn't grow until like middle of high school. So when everybody got a little bit bigger and kept playing football and stuff like that, I stuck with the band. And um, I was I was president of the band in high school. And I say that and I'm happy about that. But when I met my wife and I used that as one of those uh, first date getting to know you cards where you're like, oh, yeah, well, I would. She asked me if I had problems getting dates or something in high school. And I was like, well, I was president of the band. And she, of course, fell out laughing. <laughs> like she's like, that's not a calling card. That's not a, a good thing. <laughs> came from it was and it, it, it suited me well because I also got involved with musicals and plays in high school as well so it started in high school and that and band marching band and all those types of bands was all about the collective it was all about we're putting on a show and what part are you sometimes you get to have the spotlight on you sometimes you don't we're all going to build the sets and I think that was a great um, mental training ground that you don't do this alone mm-hmm. Then I went to college and I stuck with it. I actually went and got a, a degree at Penn State, uh, which my parents were like, they give degrees in, in theater. But they never said, no, I'll give them that. I love them so much for that. And then I went out to uh, Cal State Long Beach, actually, and got a master's degree, a master, an MFA in performance, which basically meant that, you know, I was still entitled to wait tables um, when I, nobody cared that I had a master's. Although, um, those six years were basically like my repertory theater. I got a lot of work. I got a lot of training and I didn't have to worry about the, the real world sort of in, in, encroaching on me at that point. Um, and that sort of set the stage, you know, I'd basically been auditioning for six years and that's my job and still my job. My job is to audition. Um, I would love to say that because I've been in a bunch of TV shows or I've done some good work and all that stuff, I would love to report that um, I just wait for the phone call to ring. I just wait for it to come my way and I make my choice about what I want to do. That's not my experience. I, I don't find that to be the experience of most people. Um, what I do for a living is audition. And so uh, going to school or whatever kind of training you're going to get, now I'm a dad. Sorry. Hey, kids, if you want to be a professional, my suggestion is to get into school, learn your craft and learn how to audition, because that is still the key to the realm in order to have a career as far as, as, far as my experience shows. I mean, auditioning is really a whole different skill from acting, from showing up on set and acting. Do you have any advice on, on success in the audition room? Things that, you know, you know, people like or don't like? Well, it's funny, you know, now that the rooms are Zoom calls, right? There are Zoom calls or you're, you're auditioning at home. And that's a skill you have to learn. And I tell you what, I'm an old guy. So I used to like drive to someplace, park, get coffee, go chat with the other actors, get called in, chat with the people there, do your audition and leave. That's a rare thing anymore. Um, and, and I used to use all those elements to start try and get my game. Because in the end, what you have is like two or three minutes to show the, the people on the other side of the table that you know how to act, that you are capable. Whether you're right for the part 
whether you're all these other things that are out of your hands are still out of your hands. So what you want to, what you want to do is show them that given the circumstances that you've been given, these sides, this world, um, what's your interpretation? Are, are you any good? You may not be right for this role, but everybody on that side of the table is going to continue to do other projects, particularly the casting directors. And so I always feel like I'm auditioning for them. Mm -hmm. I'm going in to make them look good because they've chosen you to come in to say, we think he could do this role. And if you show that you're a good actor, it reflects well on them. And they're looking at you and going, huh, well, he didn't get this job. And you never know why. Or maybe you do, but who cares? It doesn't matter. You didn't get the job or you got the job. Well, don't get too stuck on yourself. You got the job because you happen to be the answer to the question they were asking that day. And that's kind of what it's like. Um, am I the answer to the question? I hope so. Yes, of course I hope so, because I think it's going to be changing my life. Um, but it may not. And if you don't get it, it doesn't mean you're not an actor. If you don't get it, it doesn't mean you're not good. If you don't get it, it doesn't mean that you don't have to get back up and do it again. That is the moment that most people, after having that moment, and it's a rejection business, it's a numbers business a lot of the time. If you're not prepared for that moment, then it makes it really hard. Because acting is really fun when you get to do it and get paid, especially. Um, but you need permission from other people to do it. And that makes it really tricky and tough. So my heart goes out for it. I've always loved actors and artists because of that notion. But I didn't really answer your question. Learn your lines, be cold on your lines, show up on time. Don't stay out late the night before, stack the deck in your favor. Because as special as you are, there's a hundred more of you right behind you who did all those four things, who are ready to go. It's not a uh, right to go out and be uh, an actor. It's a privilege. So treat it as such. And that's coming from an old man who's been doing it for a long time, who has certainly shown up late, not known as lines. <laughs> I'm not a saint by any stretch of the imagination. I'm actually curious, have you had any of those nightmare auditions we hear so much about, um, whether it was, you know, your fault or something completely out of your control? Oh, I mean, you know, I, I have done some of them. I mean, stuff that, you know what? I've gotten so jacked up about putting so much on this particular audition that you've psyched yourself right out of it. You go in and you're hyper. It's like, it's like a bad first date. You so desperately want them to get a second date. And all you do is show them why they should never call you again. And you know what? Most of the casting directors I've, I've experienced over the years understand that uh, it's office game today. There's not much to be done. Sometimes you say the wrong thing. You get flop sweat. Is it hot in here? Is it hot in here? I've certainly done that. I've gone up on my lines. I've had the lines in my hands and all of a sudden I've lost my place. And I mean, anybody who's auditioned out there knows when it goes off the rails and you're unable to stop the train from just plunging over the thing. And you know what? You go, all right. And that audition may be for friends and you may see them on the cover of Rolling Stone four months later. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that happened to me, but it, it does. You Some things that you don't do well on become things, you know, and handle that. That's what, There's room for everybody is the way I look at it. So um, I'd love to start at the beginning with Better Call Saul. Were you a fan of Breaking Bad? And what was sort of your first reaction when you heard there would be a spinoff of that show? Did you think it was a terrible idea um, until you found out you might be on it? Well, I, I think I told this before. I'm going to try and make it really fast if I can. I had not seen Better Call Saul. My wife uh, was pregnant with our first child. She was about eight months pregnant. And uh, we watched the pilot. And, you know, she got the miracle of life. And she turns to me and she's like, yeah. I'm not on board with this. And well, I'm like, dad, you mean, sorry. Dad. Yeah. 
Right, right. And then we have a baby and I don't know if anybody has children out there. They consume a lot of your time. And uh, then we had a second baby. And so I watched all of uh, Clifford the Big Red Dog and can talk extensively about that. But we just did not watch Breaking Bad when it was out. We sort of missed it. We were aware of it, saw the billboards and everything else, but we were raising two kids and we were in the midst of that. And I just didn't. And at some point there was no notion that I was going to go back and binge this. Then all of a sudden, uh, Better Call Saul is, is an audition. And I get an audition for that. And uh, real short, about three weeks earlier, I'd gone up for a show called Dog with a Blog on ABC Family, where I believe the dog is number one on the call sheet. And uh, I got an audition for this. And, uh, I, you know, for whatever reason, I was like, what? What is this? I, I don't know what's going on. And, 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 and I go down to audition for Dog with a Blog. And my friends were the parents on it. You know, fine show and everything else. And I get there and there's like 20 of me in the suits sitting around there. And I'm like, oh, welcome to over 50. Hey. And so I go and I audition. They like me. They put a pin in me. And I wait around for this job that doesn't happen. They eventually, they, they, they hire a name me your name, I believe is what the phrase came back. And I went, wow. This is a tough business. Then Better Call Saul comes up. Now I know it's the pedigree of, of Breaking Bad. And I think, well, if, if I'm, if Dog with a Blog is picking a name of your name, I, I'm sorry. So, like I said, but the casting directors, casting office is Bialy Thomas, Sharon Bialy and Sherry Thomas, and now Russell Scott as well. And they, um, they cast a lot of good stuff. And I had a while. They actually cast The Walking Dead. And it was in like season three or four. And I thought, ooh, the salt thing's not going to happen. But if I go and I do really well, maybe I'll get like a three episode arc on The Walking Dead and, you know, I'll get eaten by a zombie. So that was my target. The Saul sides were like three pages long. They were dummy sides. They had no script attached. And uh, I, I came down and was, was bitching to my wife saying, how are you supposed to audition with this? It's like giving you a a dart and putting it on a merry-go-round and the target is 50 yards away. Rah, 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 rah. And she says, well, look at it this way. You can make up whatever you want. And anybody who's been married will know that's not the answer I wanted. You know, I was. <laughs> oh, so I do exactly that. I go in looking for dog with a blog. Sherry Thomas is the one who auditioned me. And this is why I love casting directors. I go in and she gives me a note. She says, they like it real. Got that note. Um, and that train I was talking about earlier, I immediately start projecting like I'm in a Greek drama. I'm outdoors. I'm blasting through the back of the camera, the back of a wall, the back of the parking lot, and I cannot stop. 20 years in the business, I cannot stop. As an adult, I can't just say, could we start again? I'm locked and going. We finish it, and Sherry Thomas, who I'll ever be grateful to, she goes, okay, we have that. No judgment, but a little. And she says, um, they, they like it real. She repeats the note. Now, I've been doing this long enough to understand that she has repeated the note, telling me I did not take the note. Mm. And then I go, oh, and I think, ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I really try and take the note. I sort of let go of The Walking Dead and everything else. And I sort of let go. And for any actors out there, you know that feeling, you're like, oh. and I did nothing. Mm. Read the words, I did it with intention. I was inhabiting something. And she goes, great, that's good. And I drive home and I buck myself up thinking, eh, maybe we'll get eaten by a zombie. Uh, two weeks later, I get a call that Vince Gilligan has seen the tape. They wanted to test me. A week later, I go to Sony. I test. And a week after that, I get a call saying you have the job. Wow. The story for me and all of that is this. I don't think I became a better actor between not getting dog with the blog and getting better call Saul. But it turns out the answer to the question, who is this guy for dog with the blog was not me. Mm -hmm. Now, 
who is this guy across from Better Call Saul was me. And, you know, I, I, I will take credit for showing up on time, having my stuff together. Um, but it's a little bit of luck as well. Maybe it's 20 years of luck, 25 years of luck, but it's, you know, and then they get the job and then it's fantastic. And, you know, and, you know, I get questions about like, so when you and Vince talked about, and I'm like, when Vince and I, Vince Gilligan know, know who I was, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's sort of a long story, but it's, it, I, for me, it's apocryphal because it reminds me that I'm fortunate to be playing with who I'm playing with and you're just not always the answer. I got to be the answer this time. And that was, and, and I've taken advantage of it as much as I could. At what point in that audition process, or maybe after you landed the role, did you catch up on Breaking Bad and realized, oh my God, this is a masterpiece? <laughs> oh, so, so then my wife and I started binging immediately after I got the job. I was like, you know, um, and it was so much so that, uh, you know, I almost, I'm, I'm glad I didn't see it. For me, ah, yeah, I would have been jacked up. Instead, I was able to do something else, which got me the job. I mean, who knows? Maybe I would have gotten my, 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 my head together. But honestly, I don't think so. Because after I read it, then I got nervous. Then I got nervous. And then I started, every time the phone rang, um, I thought, oh, they're calling to say, mm, we made a mistake. Thank you so much for thinking you had the job, but we found somebody better and nicer and more famous. Thanks so much. You know, I, that, and by the way, that hasn't really gone away. <laughs> <laughs> Even in the last season of the show. Still so, Gracie Horner plays Kim Wexler. Um, so good. Now she's an actor. You should interview her. She's oh, I have. I'm a, oh, I'm a fan. Yeah. So good. Um, her and I would call each other every time we got scripts because, of course, first thing we do is race through. Are you dead? Are you dead? I'm not dead. Are you dead? No, I'm not dead either. Great. And then we go to work. What were you sort of initially told about Howard? Because in some ways he's set up as the antagonist to Saul, but we actually really see another side of him where, you know, it's, a lot of things really aren't his fault. Well, you know, I'm going to tip my hat to the writing staff. It's headed by Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan and, and, uh, they give such a great template of what to do. Uh, it's almost actor proof in, in, in my mind. Um, and Vince put into my ear the very first episode when we were doing stuff. And he said, he came around to me and he said, Hey, um, we're not sure exactly where this is going to go with Howard, but we hired you for a reason. So don't, don't lean into being a baddie. I don't think because we don't know what's going to happen. And it, it relieved me of this idea, because indeed, the first episode, I'm like, ooh, I'm, you know, they call me Darth, the lead character calls me Darth Vader, right? And I'm set up as being this awful person. So I started, he, he was right. He helped me not run into a bad actor habit of running down this road of, this is who I am, I've decided what this is, and everything is colored like this as I twirl my mustache, which would have not helped. Consequently, as you know, these, this writing team writes where the story goes. They hadn't had things planned out, really. Um, they knew where Jimmy sort of had to get to, but they didn't have anything else planned out. And so when the, the, the masterful mighty Michael McKean gets involved as being uh, Chuck, Jimmy's brother, well, he becomes something else. And the writers all, I mean, we basically gain an entire another season because of what Michael McKean's talent brings to the table. Wow. And the writing staff goes, oh, oh. And then that just sort of fits in with where Howard's fits in. And then we all become something different. And what the writers have given me over this course of these, these seasons 
is the ability for Howard to have elbow room to go left and right, to not be one thing. And that was because, you know, uh, the writing and the directing didn't lock me in. Well, me, I would have locked myself into this idea of something. And that's faith and trust in the people that you're working around. Again, going back to the collective of something. Um, and so it's been a real, you know, it's just been a real joy to, to play these arcs and to play these things. And they've all been based in script and based in real. So it, I haven't even noticed the nudging as it's moved on. It's been the next sort of right indicated action of how it's going to behave. Like it doesn't feel like I'm reaching for something. I think the writers have been really great about not going from A to, to Q. They keep plodding along. Everything is sort of built up and justified, which I think lends itself to the tension that the viewers have. There's a sense of like, it has been earned this, this sort of franticness leading into season six of like, Oh, there's a lot of things on cliff's edges. What's going to fall has been earned because it's been a nice, slow, you know, trod up the hill to that, to that cliff. I had a feeling fairly early on that Chuck was the real bad guy or, or the person who was really sort of holding Jimmy back and Howard was just sort of the face of it. Um, how early did they clue you into that? Because I'd, I'd like to think I was ahead of my time, but maybe they always knew. <laughs> no, no, no I'll, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you that. But I think it's a, it's a time where I, I try to pay off Jimmy. Is it season two? Where I try and get, he brings the, he brings the uh, sandpiper case to us and I try and buy him off. And he calls me a pig effer in uh in the series one of one of amc's uh uh swear words they spent for the season um which by the way then the internet loved using on me which was fun <laughs> that was about the time that and it's funny you said i was the face of hhm because i very much think that howard has always had doubts whether because because my father's not around right the first h isn't there i'm there and mcgill is clearly the brains of the operation right or at least he's set up that way and so I've always carried with me character-wise, although I haven't discussed it with uh, the writers because it's implied, maybe Howard is suffering from self-doubt that if Chuck wasn't there, he wouldn't be able to run the firm. So you find yourself inch by inch, um, action by action, slipping into vague moral areas, doing Chuck's dirty work because if I don't, HHM no longer exists and then I'm exposed as a fraud that's very much the opposite of the guy who's sort of walking around with a stick yeah. in, in the tie bar um but i think that's an underlying layer that, that, that is there in the writing that i get to play plus mckean is such a force of nature and such a sphinx to be beside as an actor which is great you know it was great to pull off his energy because i was never sure i was never sure exactly where he laid with it as well we had a very interesting working relationship and not that it was weird or anything but like as an actor well, as an actor, I used to always look at them like, oh, there's a scene with Michael. And my, and my thought was, oh, good. The scene will be fine because Michael McKean's in it, which works twofold. One, it was the truth. And then two, I mean, literally, I was like, oh, if they just did over the shoulder onto him for the entire scene, it's going to look great. Um, but two, it released me of, it released me, you know, any trick you can do to get outside of yourself. And so working with Michael, I was like, oh, we're fine. We're good. We're safe. Michael's, Michael's here. Michael's driving. So it allowed me as an actor to really open up and respond to what he was giving. And that's why I say the Sphinx stuff, because the way he would deliver lines and the different change-ups he'd throw at me just made me a better actor. I said before, the, the uh, it's a metaphor of like being a rookie on, 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 at Wimbledon and you luck yourself into the first round and you start meeting the champions. 
Um, you're going to get your ass handed to you and thrown off the court, but you're going to get better because you're going to get a couple of shots in. And that's what I felt like working with Ray, Bob, and Michael, especially. Um, I came away from each scene a little bit better. And I believe you've completely wrapped shooting on the series. Yes, um, well done. So tell us everything that happens in season six. Her season six starts with her. <laughs> wait. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, here is a couple of things I can say about season six. First of all, season five, if you haven't seen it, quickly binge it on Netflix. I think it's being dropped in early April or it has been dropped in early April. Um, if you've liked what you've seen so far, you are not going to be disappointed. These writers did not fail you in this final season. Questions will be answered. Things will be resolved. And it is exhilarating. It is exhilarating. Um, I think it's very satisfying too. It's kind of all I can really, really say, you know, and whoever you're rooting for, I think you'll be happy with what happens. Was it hard to say goodbye? Like, were you filming these last few episodes and really sad? Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, it's the longest summer camp you've been on. Um, and we're theater people, right? We're show folk. And it's true. You, you bond with one another, you get used to seeing one another, you see each other, you know, in your worst, you know, 4 a.m., 2 a.m., tired, cranky, um, vulnerable. And then you're doing, you know, artistic work. And that goes for the lighting designer, Steve Latecki, and Marshall Adams, our DP, and Arthur Albert, our original DP. And uh, the crew is working so hard. And then you're trying to do something. And, and so you get bonded. Um, and it's like the last year of high school where all of a sudden people are like so you know, people are getting, uh, they've got projects coming up, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm particular Bob, you know, Bob, of course, is a, is, a, is a workhorse and he's got a lot of things going on and, and Jonathan's got a lot of things going on. And at some point during the last season, I felt like it was like the senior year of high school and everybody had gotten accepted into like Ivy League schools and I hadn't opened my applications yet. They were like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, but it got to be sad because you were at certain sets, you were at certain locations. And you're like, oh, uh, this might be the last time we're here. This might be the last time we're here. And then, you know, there's certain scenes uh, and, and, and situations where you realize you're just running out of story road. And so all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, chances are we won't be back to this location. Chances are we won't be back here. And that got, it was seven years of our lives, you know, and uh, I, I, Bob and Ray Seahorn and myself, we shared a house together. So we literally, we were college roommates and stuff like that. So we go to work. And then we come home and, you know, we had a nice house and uh, all we did was sit around the kitchen table as you do. And then, you know, talk about the day's work and then run lines for the next day's work with stuff like that. So it was a real unique, Bob said it best. We were getting, we were, we were wrapping up everything and there's that nostalgic of like, Oh, 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 but he turned it on its head and he said, we did everything right. Did we miss anything? Do we, do we not check every box? We went hiking. We went to dinner. We lived together. We were in snow and sleet and rain. We worked late night. We laughed. We went to award shows together. Well, we rescued dogs off the desert. And two of them are still here in my house in Los Angeles. You know, like we, we did it. And, and uh, it really sets the bar high for, for the next series, hopefully, that I get. You know what I mean? And it's been a wonderful experience. And I get tip of my hat to Bob Odenkirk because it really did uh, come from number one on, on the sheet without a doubt. You were in New Mexico together. Did you ever go to Meow Wolf together? It's my eternal shame that I did not make it to Meow Wolf. Never? Kids were there. 
over Christmas one year. We went and it was so it was Christmas and I missed it. I missed it. How stupid am I? So anybody who's watching this, you can at me at Patrick Fabian on Twitter and tell me how stupid I am. <laughs> I was there for three days and all I did was go to Meow Wolf every day. There you go. And then once to um, uh, Los Polos Hermanos, um, which actually has really good food. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> no, it, I have to go back to Albuquerque so I can actually uh, go up to Santa Fe and see Meow Wolf. Well, now I feel bad because you just said that, you know, you were feeling like you hadn't filled out your applications, but do you know what's up next? What would you like to do? Would you like to get back on stage? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I got to New York uh, in the fall for a brief moment when Broadway had just started opening back up and I got to see some really great things. I got to see Hades Town, which was wonderful. Uh, I got to take my kids to the theater and they wanted to go see Six. And we saw the Rockettes show and we saw the play that goes wrong. And we saw David Byrne's American Utopia. I just got done seeing the Lehman trilogy here in Los Angeles and slave play. And anytime I see those, um, I always get jealous. Oh, I want to do that. I want to do that because I love the theater. I love the intimacy. I love the liveness. I love the, what are we doing tonight? What's the Tuesday house like? Oh, what am I like on Tuesday? Uh Oh, it's talking and listening and it's in its most immediacy. And I love that. So yes, I would like to do that. Uh, I am married and I do have two kids and they are in, you know, starting to go to middle school. So the idea of like going to New York and being away from them for that sort of thing, I don't know if that quite fits. Uh, magically, it would be great if I could do something for six months or whatever and we could all transplant to New York and that might work out, but uh, I don't know. Here in LA would be great. Um, but in terms of what I'm doing next, you know, I got to do a movie with Andy McDowell uh, and that was cool. I got to do that in the fall for a bit. It's called The Other Zoe. That'll be on Amazon sometime next, uh, next fall. And I did like five episodes of the Gordita Chronicles, which is a new show on HBO Max. And it's a single camera, half hour comedy and uh, that shot in Puerto Rico. So that was fun as well. So I got to feather all that stuff in as we finished the final season, which was great. And now, well, now, now that I've done all that, I, I can tell you this. So the great thing that I get to do now after all this is sit and worry every day that the phone isn't ringing and I'm never going to work again. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm back in line doing that sort of thing uh, that actors do, you know, auditions. I've been auditioning in my living room, you know, having the dogs interrupt my auditions, sending them out into the ether and then waiting for the phone to ring to say that they that you've been the, uh, the answer to their question. And because um, that's the job. The job is auditioning. Now, Saul has helped elevate my exposure without a doubt. And certainly the phone does ring the other way. Um, sometimes I get people to call to say like, hey, we'd like them to audition for this. Or sometimes even uh, we'd like to offer them a role. And that's nice. Um, but what I've always liked about it is I've been a working actor. I thought I was going to be a star. I think we all thought we were going to be Brad Pitt when we were 22. We're all going to be Brad Pitt, right? Well, no, it turns out one, that role is taken and it's played very well by Brad Pitt. That goes for George Clooney as well. Uh, and the rest of us who are fortunate enough to have made it this far are lucky to be working actors. And I've always been a working actor and I like that. What's the next job? I don't know. Is it going to be like Better Call Saul? No, probably not. Is it going to be maybe in Puerto Rico? It was. Is it going to be in North Carolina? Oh, it was. Is that fun? It's fun for me. I enjoy that. So whatever the opportunity is, um, I'm open for it, whatever it can be. And if you, uh, you know, if, if you know anybody, please, you know, put my name in. <laughs> Do you like short films? Because we can always use some actors in short films. Yes, absolutely. You would probably quadruple our budget, though, just, just with your feet. Uh, 
<laughs> well, I can't wait to see whatever it is you do next. Um, I am pushing for maybe a spinoff with Harry Hamlin. Um, oh, time you great. work together. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe just Harry sitting around having coffee, talking about our resumes. What did you, oh, you did that? Tell me a story about that. That'd be great. People would love that. Hamlin and Hamlin. <laughs> there it is. Um, but again, and I also look forward to, I look forward, but I'm also sad about the last season of the show. Congratulations on all the success. Thank you so, so much for being here today. Thanks. Absolutely. And thank you so much for watching the show.